Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again at the end of another week. Uh, busy week on the economic data front this week. So I just like to, if we could do a quick roundup on what's happening and I guess what the implications of that are. Are excuse me. We had a lot of inflation data um, out of Europe, um, which will continue to worry the European Central Bank. We had some economic activity indicators from Europe, which will continue to worry the European Central Bank. We had strong data out of China and indeed strong data out of the United States. So this global growth story that we've been talking about since December um, continues to be a factor. Here in Ireland, lots of data as well. We got the flash estimate for inflation for February, which was a disappointment. We got the exchequer returns for the first two months of the year, which continued to show uh, strong growth in tax revenues. And we also got the release by the Central Statistics Office of growth numbers for the final quarter of last year. And we also then that gives us a picture for the full year 2022. And um, I'll talk about that in a bit more detail. But I guess suffice to say at this stage that the headline grabber from that was that modified domestic demand contracted in the final quarter of the year by 1.3%, having contracted by 1.1% the previous quarter. So technically, the domestic side of the economy um, into recession. And that, as I say, is grabbing the media headlines today. But I think underneath there is a um, a bigger story to tell. So I'd, I'd like to discuss that if I could. And indeed, I did write a piece for our Substack account today, um, just interpreting or trying to interpret uh, exactly what those growth numbers are telling us. But starting on the inflation front um, in Europe, um, it was a disappointing week for the European Central Bank. There's no doubt about that. 
French inflation jumped to 7.2%, which is the highest rate in that country since the euro area was established in 1999. Inflation in Spain jumped to 6.1%, up from 5.9% the previous month. And for the euro area as a whole, inflation did moderate slightly from 86 to 8.5%. But core inflation, which excludes food and energy, and really is the one that the European Central Bank is focusing most closely on at the moment, it increased from 5.3% to a hefty 5.6%. And then we got the Composite Purchasing Managers Index for the Euro area, that is a composite of manufacturing and services. And this index, when the reading is above 50, signifies more companies are expanding than contracting. And it jumped to 52 in February. So that's suggesting from the European Central Bank's perspective that not alone is inflation remaining stubbornly high, but also economic activity indicators are pretty healthy. And uh, indeed, we saw that as well from all recent labour market data in the euro area. So there's a lot of stuff there to worry the European Central Bank. And Philip Lane said earlier in the week that um, the half percent increase uh, that was promised in February for the March meeting, which occurs on the 16th of March, um, is going to happen. There's every suggestion that another half percent could be delivered at the next meeting in May. So we're looking at... ECB base rate going from zero late July, 3% at the moment, 3.5% in March, probably 4% in May. There's no suggestion at this stage that the European Central Bank is in any mode to slow down the process. So 4% base rates, if you like, in Europe. Um, what, what do you think that will translate into the standard variable mortgage rate in Ireland once we get there? What do you think roughly it will be? In, in total, I reckon the variable mortgage rate is probably going to go up by around 3% um, on average. Okay, Some of the smaller um, non-bank lenders have increased more than that. Um, the AIB, Bank of Ireland, have increased by less than that. But on average, we're looking at variable mortgage rates going up by in excess of 3% in a very, very short period of time. So what will be so the I big think... figure, do you think? What, you, what will be the big figure? 6%. Because mm. I noticed in the States this week, as a result of their similar, better economic growth numbers, worse than expected inflation numbers, long-term mortgages, and, this, and in the States, they do fix their mortgages for a long period of time, but their really long-term mortgage rate went above 7% this week. And we haven't seen that for a very long time. And I notice again, just talking about property markets and mortgage markets, that the UK rate of house inflation on one of the many indices that we do have published here, some of them don't say this, there's lots of conflicting data, but the majority of the data is pointing to a softening UK property market and one key measure turned down, so it's showing price falls year over year, not just month over month. So property markets are looking soft. And if you're looking for, I think, where the next accident comes, where the thing that will be broken by the central banks, if you like, is it's the property market. I've said that many times, and I still think that there are straws in the wind. But if you're a variable rate mortgage holder in Ireland, or somebody whose fix is, is rolling over in the States this year, you're, you're in for a nasty surprise, aren't you? Uh, you, you certainly are. And um, 
I, I think there's a lot of um, fixed, short fixed mortgages in Ireland rolling over in the next 12 months and they are all going to be rolling over at significantly higher rates. So very definitely for people with mortgages, there's going to be a real squeeze unless you were prescient enough to lock in for five or 10 years at the very low rates that were on offer up to six months ago. But yeah, it, it does represent a significant shock to people's real incomes. And, uh, you know, inevitably you would have thought, number one, it'll take more heat out of the housing market. But secondly, it will also um, act as a further drain on consumer spending in the economy. Uh, but I stress that um, consumer spending in the Irish economy is still pretty strong. You know, there's well, no that, doubt that was in the exchequer that. returns, wasn't it? There were very, very strong VAT receipts. Well, there was a technical um, adjustment that boosted um, VAT. And I'm not sure what the technical adjustment is. That's what the uh, Department of Finance said yesterday. Uh, didn't get a chance to go and explore, but there was a technical adjustment that exaggerated. But even if you strip that out, there was still strong growth in VAT revenues in the first two months of the year. Of course, February is not a VAT collection month. Um, we, we'll get the end February VAT take um, in the March figures. But yeah, I mean, the, the consumer part of the Irish economy is, is still pretty vibrant. And uh, I think I've said to you before that I heard one company describe the Irish consumer market at the moment as being characterized by a joy recession. In other words, over the last two or three years, uh, the Irish consumer has been hit by a lot of bad news. It's not just the Irish consumer, obviously, but we've had COVID. We've had the Ukraine war of the last 12 months, rising interest rates, the squeeze in the cost of living and so on. And that the way many consumers who can afford to are reacting to that actually is they're trying to treat themselves themselves to treats. Well, so, so that, that, that's a, a different concept, okay? That's a particular example of a more general point. And I know uh, this is probably a very unfair question for you, Jim. But if, you'd, if we'd done this podcast a year ago and we'd said that interest rates would be at the levels that they are today, let's say we got that forecast right, and with the prospect of interest rates going up a lot more, which is where we're at now, which is what we've just been describing, interest rates going up by quite a lot more after having risen by a lot, plus the squeeze on real incomes, because in, although jobs have held up, uh, wages have held up, that they haven't kept pace with inflation. So there's been a real income squeeze thanks to inflation in not just Ireland, but elsewhere. All of the uncertainty created by high energy prices and more generally the war, would you have forecast that economic growth would be as robust as it is right now? No, I wouldn't, Chris, to be honest, um, because Ireland has been hit like everywhere else by very significant headwinds over the last 12 months. And, and yet we see from the CSO national accounts data that gross domestic product expanded by 12% in real terms last year, slightly less than had been previously anticipated, but nevertheless, 12% really healthy. We saw modified domestic demand because people are immediately going to say well gdp just totally exaggerates everything in this economy as it does but modified domestic demand which is a broad measure of underlying domestic activity that tries to capture consumer spending government spending and business investment spending so it's 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 regarded as a much better gauge of what's happening on the ground in the economy 
it actually expanded by 8.2% last year. So, and, 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 and within that, consumer spending was up by 6.6%. So a what, pretty was there a funny consumer. Was there something funny in that even within modified domestic demand happening to investment towards the end of the year? Yeah, there was. In the final quarter of the year, um, modified domestic demand, as I said in my introduction, fell by 1.3% in the final quarter, having fallen by 1.1% the previous quarter. So technically a recession. And as I say, that is what made the news headlines on RT Radio, for example, today at lunchtime. And you're going to see it written up in the media tomorrow or on Saturday as well. Within that, I mean, consumer spending continue to expand in the final quarter it was up by 1.1 percent but business investment spending fell very sharply uh, a couple of factors that i think contributed to that one is that you know we, we we had a surge in business investment on technology during COVID for home working and so on there was massive investment um and that sort of fed through to the first half of last year and then in the second half of the year um, it fell off because basically they had enough <laughs> IT investment undertaken. So we, we got a significant slowdown from a high base. So that's been reflected. And secondly, there was a significant reduction in investment in intellectual property assets. So that that impacted as well. So and this is the problem, Chris. I talk about it every quarter when we get the CSO data and the national accounts. It is really, really difficult to interpret because we have GDP, we have um, gross national product. And actually, I want to talk about that in a second. We have modified domestic demand. We have GNI star and GNI star, I think, is likely to have expanded by about 6.9% last year. So there's different measures. And, and really, to understand what is happening in the Irish economy, to me, the best way to do it is to go sector by sector. Okay, you look at what's happening consumers, you look at what's happening the government's contribution, you look at the business investment piece, which is much more difficult to interpret because it is seriously distorted from quarter to quarter by this intellectual property asset thing and also by aircraft leasing. So if an aircraft leasing company based in Ireland buys a few planes during a quarter, it has a significant impact on the business investment number. So that's much, much more difficult. And then you look at output from the sectors. Uh, construction fell by over 6% in the final quarter of last year. Um, agricultural output fell sharply as well. So this, uh, this is the only way, really, I think you can understand and analyze what's going on in the Irish economy. These headline numbers are totally distortionary. I also look at what's happening on the labor market side. Uh, we spoke about it in a recent podcast, 2.574 million people working in the economy. Uh, we got the unemployment rate in February falling to 4.3% of the labor force. Just okay. before I, I can hear loads and, loads and loads of our listeners' heads are spinning at all of these numbers. All these data, yeah. I'm so impressed, Jim, that you've got them all at your fingertip. If I was to put pin you to the wall and say, Jim, you, you're on a radio program now, you're on RTE News, The World at One or whatever it's called, and we're with, we, we've got 15 seconds to summarize the state of the Irish economy right now as a result of this new data and all of the other data that I do know that you look at, you've got 15 seconds and three bullet points. What's the state of the Irish economy for us numpties? 
The underlying state of the Irish economy is still healthy. It's still showing a decent level of momentum. Uh, the headwinds are obvious. The cost of living crisis, energy costs for business, which are now starting to alleviate, um, and of course, rising interest rates. So it seems to me, and we're starting to see some slowdown in domestic activity at the moment. And I think that's likely to continue into the first half of 2023, particularly if, as I've suggested a few minutes ago, the European Central Bank continues to deliver high interest rates. So the, the overall scorecard is still positive for Ireland. You know, the labour market's strong. The exchequer returns are still strong. Uh, but the pressures coming on business and consumers are pretty obvious. So soft landing, soft landing or hard landing, Jim? Chris, you should never ask me to talk about a soft landing. I refuse to use that term anymore okay. because Do it you comes back to haunt me. Immac but, immaculate landing or hard landing? Uh, I think immaculate landing. Okay. Yeah, I, I think Ireland With will be okay. all the usual caveats. Of course, of course. But I think Ireland will be okay. Okay, um, that's good. One of the things that worries me is, is of course, as we've said before, is that uh, if you had said interest rates would rise in the way that they have. You wouldn't have made these forecasts for Ireland, indeed for the UK, one of the worst performing G7 economies. It's doing much better than was expected even a few weeks ago. The numbers are coming in better. Uh, and of course, the same is true in the United States. Yeah, yeah Chris, I, I, sorry. Now, I, I would just say on the Irish piece, um, modified domestic demand up by 8.9% last year. Um, I would forecast we know the dangers associated with forecasting um because there's nothing as difficult to forecast as the future but i i think that domestic demand here modified domestic demand is going to grow by sort of around three three and a half percent this year so it does represent a deceleration but we're still talking about a positive level of economic activity subject to the caveat that the ukraine war does not give us further um, unexpected or unanticipated negative shocks. Can I ask you another really difficult question? Well, you're going to so far ahead. Now, yesterday we had, well, this week we've had strong exchequer return figures. On the tax side, VAT came in strong, income tax came in strong. We even had a small contribution at the wrong time of year, if you like, from corporation tax. But nevertheless, a big exchequer deficit because we stuck four billion into let's call it Ireland's Sovereign Wealth Fund. I know that's not its proper name, but that's what I'm going to call it. After a two billion bung last year. So we've we put six billion into this, haven't we? We have and, indeed, yeah. There we've got six billion. And if you were the chief investment officer of Ireland's Sovereign Wealth Fund, suddenly with six billion in cash, pure cash this is, Jim, good old fashioned euros, where are you going to invest it today? Housing. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You put it in housing. 
Yes. You build housing domestically. Yes. God, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say Japanese equities. No, <laughs> housing, Chris. I I think that all resources possible should be thrown at the housing housing market. And I know there are all sorts of capacity constraints. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, absolutely. But you do not just cause uh, inflation. In the, well, in... the the construction industry tells me that they actually have the capacity to build more. Okay. Okay. What they need to deliver that capacity is uh, significant changes to planning. And we've spoken about that so many times. Uh, and there's a planning bill going through uh, the doll at the moment trying to address that problem. It's too little, too late. You know, I, I, and I've spoken to a lot of people in the construction industry over the last few weeks. And I'm, 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 they convince me that they actually have the capacity to build more. And of course, the supply chain difficulties with construction material, that has freed up a lot again in the last six months. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I said it so many times, housing is the big challenge. And if we could get the housing situation significantly better, and I'm assured by people who should know that actually the underlying situation in housing is getting a little bit better. But there's a danger in the next 12 months it'll get worse because of the whole planning and the, the constraints in the system that are preventing the delivery. So would you recommend that the central government becomes a big landlord or would you devolve this money yes. to local authorities? Oh, well, devolving it to local authorities, they, they can't build houses. You know, they just don't have the capacity. I, I think local authorities need to, they need to get private developers building for them at a greater level because um, I, I'm also led to believe that a lot of local authorities, you know, they have, they've, they've conducted housing needs assessments and those housing needs assessments basically look at how many houses each local authority needs to deliver. The housing needs assessment numbers that have been worked on at the moment are based on the 2016 census. Okay. And since the 2016 census up to the April 22 census, we saw strong growth in population. So in other words, the targets that local authorities have under the housing needs assessment are actually way too low. But local authorities are saying, listen, we're going to hit our target. That's it. Would you um, build these houses for sale or for rent? A combination. And and we, we've said this as well, that too much of the debate on the housing market focuses on social and affordable housing. There are three components to the housing market. Well, four well, I guess three, really. There is the social and affordable piece. There is the owner-occupier piece, you know, build to sell. And there is the rental piece. And all three need to be addressed. I mean, I hear politicians on the left arguing that we just need to build um, social housing on public lands as if they own those public lands. Public lands, by definition, are owned by the whole lot of us. Why just build social housing? Yes, We need to build all sorts of housing. So these sites need to be, you know, br brought up to building standards as quick as possible. But we also, I, I would like to see significant government investment in um, renovating derelict buildings, be it office space, converting into residential um, buildings over shops that are lying idle all over the place. And every time I get the bus into town, uh, down through rap mines particularly, you see all of these derelict 
rooms over shops. It's it's extraordinary. We, so it's it would cost a lot of money, but I think it would be money well spent. Money well spent, but would it be money well invested? Because the taxpayer, the good old fashioned Irish taxpayer, whose six billion this is, I think has every right to ask about value for money. And as in particular, if they're finance types, to ask about the return on their investment. Do they have a right to expect a positive return from this? And, and Well, I, I think the positive return, Chris, would be um, easing the housing crisis, that, that you could get no more positive return than that. Um, and I know you keep arguing that, you know, supply doesn't necessarily solve these problems, but without supply, uh, you are in a serious mess. It's not. It's not the answer to all the problems, but yeah, we. We. I. I. I just think that in monetary terms, the return probably wouldn't stack up very well. But there are also in a cost-benefit analysis, you also have to look at the non-monetary returns, and I think housing would deliver significant non-monetary returns, and indeed would make a significant contribution to the national competitiveness of the country. Of course, you could square that circle by saying the state should just become an enormous landlord would get an income on its investments from rents and that would be the return on the capital invested and presumably if it sold the properties at a higher price or at least for a profit that it that there is a way that the taxpayer does get value for money from this um, because I don't think you I don't think anybody would or would they urge building houses and then selling them below cost would you would you argue for that no 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 okay all right enough on housing Jim um, one of the things that um, I know I wanted to talk about today was reaction. Surprisingly, a lot of reaction, actually, to something that I didn't think people would be that exercised about is the debate over whether or not the current generation has uh, has it better or worse than the previous generation. And we've, we've talked about that. And we've had a lot of comments on the, on the Substack site and also some direct communication. And the thing that took me by surprise is the number of younger people and frankly, that's most people these days relative to me, agreeing with the hypothesis, and I've had to change my mind on this, that the current generation isn't worse off. Yes, there are specific issues. We've just talked about the biggest, arguably the biggest one of all. But when you take it in the round for all of the different things that affect our lives, that drive measures of prosperity, drive measures of well-being, the current generation is, in fact, better off than any generation that's ever come before it. And I know you've you've uh, responded to a few of our commenters yourself. Yeah, I have. I mean, I th- th- there is this narrative out there, and I heard Richard Boyd Barrett and Pete Before Profit, who launched a sort of a manifesto yesterday, basically saying the same thing, that, you know, Ireland is a failed state, that this generation is going to be significantly worse off than our generation and, you know, previous generations. But uh, Seamus Coffey in UCC, whom we've had on this podcast, talk about corporation tax and whom I'm going to try and get back again to talk about that. But he put something up on Twitter during the week. He looked at basically 13 indicators comparing Ireland in 1986-87 to the current situation. So stuff like uh, total population, sorry, total employment, the share of the population in non-agricultural employment, net migration, uh, 
weekly unemployment, social welfare payments relative to inflation, average industrial wage, risk of poverty, households. I could go on and on. On most of those headings, things are significantly better today than they were back in 86, 87. Um, I, I think that people who look back on the 70s and 80s with a nostalgic view that it was great, it bloody well wasn't. As we discussed in the last podcast, uh, there was a lot about life back then that was grim. You know, there there is no doubt about that. So, but but and every generation has its challenges. Uh, back in the seventies and eighties, it was high unemployment and forced emigration. Uh, today, it's housing. Yeah, and God bless uh, Seamus Coffee for doing that work because it it chimes with what we were saying about uh, measuring these things properly. If you want to have a bar stool discussion about this, you'll just focus on one or two very narrow criteria and reach extreme conclusions. If you do the work, if you actually look at the data properly, the answers become sometimes surprising. And I think that that is the case now. Yeah, Chris, you made a very pertinent point the last day about uh, really there is one indicator that matters that tells the whole story, and that is life expectancy. And Seamus has the stat here that in 86, 87, life expectancy was 74. Today, it's 82. That's based on Eurostat data. Okay. So what do you take from that? Improving life expectancy um, is, I I think, it shows you that the quality of life, the quality of health service, the quality of food, general lifestyles are just better today than they were back then. All of the things that affect your life expectancy, Yes. um, apart from the luck of your genes, when you think about education, the quality of your housing, your diet, education, um, your working conditions. Because remember that working conditions have greatly improved from our, certainly from our grandparents' generation. Hard manual work is the exception rather than the rule. Dangerous work is no longer legal. We no longer, we no longer send children up chimneys and, and things like that. Uh, Jim, that wraps up everything I've wanted to say today. What, have you got anything left on your list? No, there was, there was something I, I, I wanted to mention earlier in relation to the national accounts. Um, the difference between GDP and GNP is net factor flows. Okay, and it's basically Irish, sorry, multinationals operating in Ireland at the end of every tax year, they repatriate profits back to the home country, their shareholders. And we have Irish multinationals like Glambia, CRH operating overseas that repatriate some profits back to their shareholders here in Ireland. But so that's the difference between GDP and GNP, those factor flows. Last year, we had net factor outflows of about 132, just under 132 billion, which is by far the highest level of profit repatriation we've ever seen. And some will take that as a negative, meaning that all of this money is be flowing out of the country. But the positive slant on it actually is that it does reflect the strong performance of the multinational sector in this country. And we've seen it through the corporation tax receipts over the last couple of years. We've seen it through the export performance, particularly of the chemical and pharma sector. So these profit repatriations actually are a positive indicator of the operating environment for those companies here in Ireland. But it's a number that does stand out and I think will be subject to a lot of scrutiny. Final point I'd just like to make on this whole global growth story, um, China, 
which uh, reopened at the end of last year, all of the restrictions were lifted. Uh, the purchasing managers index for China jumped strongly in February, the strongest level since April 2012. So China is coming back. That builds into the whole global economic story, interest rates and so on. But uh, this weekend, uh, the People's National Congress is meeting in China where policymakers think it's this weekend. They're coming together, you know, to, uh, as you do in centrally controlled economies, to talk about the economic plan for the next couple of, of years. I think the backdrop to that Chinese thing is really interesting in the sense that we are seeing in U.S. investment in China coming under significant pressure. And this geopolitical relationship between China and the United States is just becoming increasingly toxic. And we spoke about it in the context of the Chinese now providing drones to the Russians to kill innocent people in Ukraine. So, you know, that's that, that, that all of that is just indicative of how bad it is. And I saw a story during the week that a lot of suppliers to Apple in China are now moving to India. Yeah. So we're seeing this deglobalization and this breakdown of the economic relationship between China and the United States, which I think will have profound implications over the next couple of years. None of them good by the sound of things, Jim. But uh, let's, no, end, so. let's end by doing two things. One, on a cheerful note, and two, proving that I occasionally do look at numbers and don't just do political philosophy, as, I, as our listeners often accuse us, accuse me anyway. Um, you remember what the gas price was last summer? Yeah, 349 euros. Let's call it 350 euros per megawatt hour. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah. European natural gas spot prices. Do you know what they are today? That's my looked. It was about thirty nine. Well, forty five was the last time I looked. So uh, okay, so, I think they they dipped briefly below forty early in the week. Wow, um, I think yeah. So we're getting on for eighty five, nearly ninety percent fall, which is good news for all of us sitting here freezing at the moment. So it Jim, indeed. No, let's it wrap it up. Is. Yeah, have a great weekend, and I'll speak to you on Monday. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. 
If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated.